Welcome to a new episode of the Superpowered Fancast. This is Darren. Uh, this is episode 58 of the podcast, and I want to start with a little news. Uh, one of the biggest uh, stories this week has been that um, after multiple delays because of uh, COVID-19, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is actually going to come out this year. It's actually going to be not only come out in theaters, but is also going to be on HBO Max for subscribers uh, on December 25th. So if you're already a subscriber to HBO Max, you'll get to see Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day. So that's a good present for uh, Wonder Woman fans, for DC comic fans, for movie fans, uh, for especially uh, fans of the uh, DC um, universe. So that that's awesome. Another uh, news item that that, that came across um, uh, this week is I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and there's a new version of The Stand that's coming to CBS All Access on December 12th. And I just found out that Ezra Miller, who plays The Flash in uh, Justice League and in his upcoming solo film, is going to be playing uh, one of my favorite characters from the book, The Trash Can Man. So it's going to be interesting to see. And it's it. Uh, it's it's a bigger role than just a cameo, and it's interesting that I didn't know that he was uh, playing that character, but I can't wait to see him in that role. Uh, also in uh, movie news, uh, this is, at this point, it's it's a rumor, I'm not sure, but it, you know, more than likely it is going to happen, is that uh, Chris Pratt is supposed to be joining uh, the cast of Thor Love and Thunder. Now, if you saw um, Avengers Endgame, which millions of people did then you know that at the end of that film uh, spoilers uh thor leaves um leaves asgard in the hands of valkyrie and takes to the skies with the guardians of the galaxy or in his words the asgardians of the galaxy so let's go so it absolutely makes sense that uh chris pratt aka star lord uh would make an appearance in thor love and thunder if only to just kind of bridge the gap between what happens at, between Endgame and the events of that film. And also uh, in Marvel movie news, um, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, who plays uh, Scarlet Witch and is starring the upcoming uh, WandaVision series uh, premiering next month, is set to be filming. Uh, her role will be returning to the role of uh, Wanda Maximoff, aka Scarlet Witch, in uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And she's supposed to be starting filming next month. Now, in the world of comics, there have been some, uh, some great comics that came out uh, this week. Um, some of the, my favorites are uh, the fifth issue of Dark Knight's Death Metal by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo uh, came out this week. I absolutely recommend you pick it up. Uh, Scott is an excellent writer, and Greg is an amazing uh, an amazing illustrator. It, it's a great story. It's full of uh, it, it, it. It runs the expanse of the of the DC universe. It has uh, almost uh, in that series you, almost any character you can think of. And this one is kind of the penultimate issue because it ends on a on a strange note where the heroes of the DC universe have to team with the villains to do something completely unthinkable in order to save the universe. So it, it's a great story. I definitely recommend you pick up all of the issues beforehand and definitely read um, uh, Death Metal. Uh, number five. <clears throat> uh, also uh, came out uh, Aquaman number 65 
um, by uh, Kelly Sudakonic with art by Miguel Mendonca. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I don't know if it's Mendonca or Mendonca, uh, but I'm, I'm sure I'm uh, I'm sure I'm mangling it in some way. And if you'd like to correct me, please do so. Uh, you can uh, hit me on Twitter at superpoweredfan. You can email me uh, superpoweredfancast at gmail.com. Just kind of let me know where I messed up. But it's a, another great issue. Um, the the current arc has been. Uh, Mira making changes to uh, the political structure of Atlantis and uh, Ocean Master, um, of course, having <laughs> taking issue with it. And um, Arthur kind of uh, not caught in the middle, but, you know, um, making his appearance known. And the issue ends on a high note, and I, I, which is something I, I really enjoyed. Um, in the Marvel world, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 53 by uh, Nick Spencer and Mark Bagley is out. It's it's a great story. I've been really interested in, in the character in the, this new villain, Kindred, uh, since uh, he was introduced. And although I kinda, well, I can't even say kinda, I knew where they were going. I knew who Kindred was and I, but the story has unfolded in some, in some great ways. And this issue is, is is great as well because he finally reveals himself to Peter, even though we can, we've known at this point kind of where that story's going. But uh, that was out. Um, James Tiny IV and Werther de la Dera, uh, Something is Killing the Children, is a great, uh, an absolutely great series uh, from from Boom Studios. Uh, it's 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 dark, but it has an, an amazing story and some great characters. It's definitely one I would uh, I would check out right now. They're on issue twelve, but you can absolutely go ahead and pick up all the previous issues. Like if you go to Comicsology or um, or anywhere else, like you can uh, you can either uh, get them digitally or, or buy the issues. I definitely recommend it. Uh, another one that I really love is uh, the Red Mother. Um, by Jeremy Hahn and Dan Luckert, uh, Danny Luckert. It's it's a it's a great series as well. It's a it's a slow burn, but it's a great story and great characters. So it's it's another um, uh, story I would I would definitely recommend. And it's getting really good now. It's, it's a great kind of conspiracy uh, type story. That's uh, that's amazing to kind of get into. It's very engaging uh, if you're a reader. So. Um, that's my my recommendations there are a lot of great uh comics out there and if you go to uh, my website uh www.superpoweredfancast.com uh, you can check out all my uh reviews uh for this week and in previous weeks there are a lot of great uh comics come out that came out there was some i you know didn't really connect with but there's a lot of great stuff uh coming that, that's out and they're coming in the future and a lot of great stories being uh being developed. But um, what I really want to talk about is I got a chance to um, do another interview for this podcast. I love doing interviews. I love uh, talking to, to writers and actors and uh, anyone who is anyone who's creative because I, I like to uh, understand that energy and kind of learn their journey and what about the craft um, attracts them. And this uh, this week I got to speak with uh, comic book writer Mark Russell. Uh, Mark Russell is a 
is a comic comic writer. He's written for Marvel. He's written for DC. He's written for uh, Ahoy Comics. He's written for uh, Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, he uh, his comic Exit Stage Left: The Snagglepuss Chronicles uh, won the Glad Award for Outstanding Comic. Um, he uh, also wrote the Flintstones for DC Comics, Wonder Twins. Um, second coming for Ahoy Comics, and his uh, his latest uh, story is Billionaire Island, which is a great uh, kind of political satire uh, that's that's currently available. I would definitely it's another one I definitely recommend you pick up. So, uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Mark Russell. Well, uh, Mark Russell, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it. Um, the, the first question I wanted to ask you is I, I tend to ask, especially writers, is like, what was your, your journey to, to comics? Like, did you read them as a kid? And what were some of your favorites? I did, although the comics I read as a kid are very different than what I read as an adult. Like, I started with the spinner rack, you know, I, mm -hmm. I read like Mighty Mouse and Donald Duck. And that's for a long time, this is sort of what I thought of as comics. And the one that sort of like turned me on to like, think this is maybe something I would want to do was actually Mad Magazine <laughs> when I discovered that when I was like 12 years old yeah. I thought that was just like the best thing and it, the, the funny thing was like I would read the um, the, the movie parodies in Mad Magazine mm -hmm. and then I, you know these are movies I'd never seen uh, but then I would watch the movies because they were in the Mad Magazine parodies and I was usually disappointed <laughs> because I liked the Mad Magazine parody better than the movie yeah. that it was based on so <laughs> I, it occurred to me that, that that's probably, I think it's subconsciously anyway, it occurred to me that that's how good art is made. Good art is made by, by telling as short a story as possible, by condensing everything mm -hmm. into a shortest packet and making it funny. Okay. So then did that, how did that uh, lead you into writing comics? Like I know you probably, you've written uh, other things, but um, what led you to deciding on writing as a career? Well, I've always written for as long as I can remember. I just wasn't getting paid for it for almost all of that time. Right. And uh, I would just write little funny little stories or just little things that I weren't really sure what they were, just little pages or one-liners. And I still do that today. I have a, a file that's like 200 pages long. That's just one-liners or little snippets of stories or concepts that may or may not ever be used. But I... Um, I've always been writing, but the thing that made me sort of like, I think able to transition to a career to comics was the fact that I started finishing stories. And I didn't do that for a long time. I would just start to write ideas, but I wasn't really good at finishing them uh, until I, yeah, I started uh, working on a book about the Bible. And the concept of the Bible was, or the concept of the book was that I was gonna retell every book of the Bible in three or four pages and uh, then I would basically have done a modern retelling of the entire Bible, which I thought would probably give people a better idea of what the Bible actually said than the Bible itself, because mm -hmm. the Bible leads out a lot of uh, historical background. And it's also kind of just kind of hard to understand because there's so many chapters about like uh, genealogy and um, animal husbandry <laughs> that it's you know hard to lose. It's easy to lose out on the, the stuff that it's really, really trying to get to. So I went through the process of condensing the entire Bible to a very short, readable book. And that's what convinced me I could actually finish a story. And, um, and I just sort of got into comics 
from there, I started writing increasingly short, increasingly visual things. And eventually I got offered a chance to write uh, the comic book Prez for DC because I was one of the few people they knew about who, um, who wrote short satirical stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I, I guess uh, the question I ask is, is that kind of what led you to like, God is disappointed in you, like you're writing those, uh, those short stories. And what did you find limiting yourself to short stories easier to, to finish something? Yeah, I think I was uh, limiting myself to short stories. One, because, yeah, it was easier. It was easier to finish. And also just because I wanted to, like, that was my natural inclination was to make something as short as possible. And I've, I've written some longer works, like, obviously, the books and, you know, comics. And I found that it, to to have a book, to justify writing a book, you got to have more than one good idea. One good idea is like a short story. If you want to write a book, you need to have like a hundred good ideas. And that's a lot harder. And uh, that's why I tend to write, when I do write a book, it tends to be an aggregate of all these little short stories because I need to accumulate enough good ideas to warrant a book, especially in this climate where, you know, people aren't going to stick with the book. It's not like, you know, Russia in 1865 where, you know, there's only three books being published that year. And you need something to read over the next seven months of winter. So you sit down with like a novel that might not have much payoff, but you've got, you know, 700 pages of it to read. People are going to stick with that now because there's so much more out there for them to do. There's video games, there's movies, there's, you know, all these streaming channels. So you, you have to write in a very condensed, immediately gratifying manner. And luckily, it's just sort of, I think, the way my brain sort of resonates naturally is to try to make things as, as short and, um, like, pithy as possible. Right. So I, uh, that, that just worked for me to write in that style, which I think really translates well into comics. Well, and that's the thing, because one of the first things that I had read of yours was your run on the, the Flintstones. And the question, and, and that kind of... Uh, drew me into uh, your writing style. And I, and I wanted to, to know, like, on that note, like, why, why the Flintstones? Well, was it the satire of it? Or did, was there something that you wanted to, to say with those specific characters? Well, the honest answer is because they offered it to me. Uh, I had never, it didn't occur to me to write a Flintstones comic. It was just what they were allowing me to write. But, you know, we initially wasn't very excited about the, the opportunity to write a Flintstones comic. But then I sort of thought about it as, like, well, this is something that I actually am kind of interested in. It's like, like human civilization and the flaws, you know, in human civilization, they're just giving me a different sort of vehicle with which to talk about it, being a Flintstone. So as soon as I made that sort of leap, then I was all in on the Flintstones. It's like, yeah, I'm going to write a Flintstones comic and it's going to be about the beginning of civilization. It's going to be about where all the things we don't like in our society, where they began. Got and on that on that same note, because you seem to write about uh, society a lot in uh, in things like like Second Coming and, and Billionaire Island. So, like, is it a, is it something where you you have something you you want to say about a segment of society when you sit down to write something, or is it just that when you you when you look at society, you're like um, you know, I I have a story I can tell about this. Like, what kind of uh, what kind of yeah? Usually, what start? Well, I start with like the thing I want to say, and mm-hmm. I build the story around that, uh, rather than the other way around. Um, 
And and I think it's because I think whatever is gnawing at you, whatever is haunting you, is probably what you're going to be writing. You're doing your best work about. Right. So I try not to be too mercenary and just sort of stick to like a story that I, oh I I can hammer out this story. I, I try to be more like no what is it, what is it that's really bothering or what have I been thinking about a lot lately, and I'll I'll create a story around that. I'll create a story to illustrate why that's bothering me and why I think we should we 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 can do better. So I try to always start with the thing that's sort of obsessing me at the moment because I know that that's where I'm going to do my best work. Right. And on, again, on that same note, um, you, you won a, a GLAAD award for Outstanding Comics for, for reinterpreting like the classic character of, of Snagglepuss. Like, what about that story did you want to tell? Like, what, what, what kind of story did you want to tell that you felt could only be told from the point of view of this character? Well, when I started writing it, we were just, you know, newly going into a brand new presidential administration, uh, Trump administration. And I was very worried and still am about our, our sort of slide into like fascism our slide into like the sort of repressive uh, government that is like taking away people's personal freedoms and enforcing conformity on people using sort of illegal means. And so that's kind of what I w was obsessing me. And I had, I knew I was going to have to work that in, but then, you know, I thought about the character itself of Snagglepuss. I thought, well, what do I, what do I actually know about this character? And, and for one thing, I knew he was in theater because all of his catchphrases are theater things, right. exit right. stage left, left. the <laughs> theater thing. And uh, heavens to Murgatroyd is a theater re reference. Um, so I, I knew that, that he had been in theater, but he's in cartoons. So it got me thinking, well, why would he need to leave theater to go into cartoons. That's when the uh, mm. sort of the red scare, lavender scare thing came up to go. Well, maybe he got blacklisted, you know, in the fifties, like so many people did. And now he has to work in cartoons. Um, so I really built the story from there, but it was really about talking more about the present and about what I feel like is our, um, the sort of gradual sort of encroachment of uh, nationalism and fascism into our national politics. Right. And um, and again, going back to, to themes like what um, like Second Coming is a it, it's an interesting concept because it, it, it combines a, a lot of a lot of interesting things, especially like superheroes and Jesus and all this. So where did uh, kind of where did I don't want to ask where did that idea come from? Because that's that's kind of a general uh, question, but kind of what did you what were you trying to say with with that storyline and kind of what did you what did you want people to take from it like what did you, like how did you want people I, I know you can't control how people receive sure media because i i've, I've read uh, i read the stories about what happened it was originally supposed to be uh published by dc and then uh it, it went to ahoy but um it's kind of like what what did you want people to get from it and what were you trying to say with it well, the, the takeaway I wanted people to have was that violence and force are not really long-term solutions. They might be useful. They might actually like, like solve things in the short term, but the only sort of changes that last are the changes that people sort of make with their heart. And I think that's what, sort of what, what, what Christ stands for. And so it was trying to like, in a way, respond to, not only our American culture, but the culture within comics, which is very much about like uh, superheroes solving every, every problem, even good superheroes in the end of the day, 
solve every problem with violence. Somebody gets thrown through a plate glass window or gets beaten up and the problem solved. And real life doesn't work like that. And the character, the superhero character you see in the in Second Coming, Sunstar, he's a guy who's like all powerful, has no vulnerabilities really. Uh, it can use violence to solve any solution yet his mother, his grandmother is suffering from dementia. He can't have a child with his wife or adopt a child even because he's not technically a human being. Right. So how does violence, how does physical force solve that problem, those problems, the problems that confront him on a daily basis? And the short answer is they, they don't. In the end, the only solution that really matters, the only superhero we really have is empathy and understanding and our willingness to like work on each other's problems. And that's a really, that's uh, uh, definitely a, a positive message kind of put into it. And, but it, it also has that natural satire to it. And is that something you wanted to make sure you put in there as well? Just kind of having these two as roommates. Um, yeah. No, I, it's just sort of the way I operate, you know, that's just everything um, sort of like the way I sort of understand the world. But yeah, the, I, I actually had the idea for two different stories. I had an idea about for a story about, Christ coming back to earth and being, you know, sort of horrified by what he's found people have done with his teachings. And also a story about a superhero realizing that his powers are not really that useful for solving his own problems. And it occurred to me that these are really two sides of the same coin, that this is really ultimately a meditation on power and its futility. Okay. And and, and speaking of, speaking of power, like um, what I, and I know uh, you were talking about uh, fears of the, the uh, current administration, but is that is that one of the things that led to the creation of Billionaire Island, or was it just something that yeah, you, were seeing, it, you were seeing in the ether, but also something that you were seeing, like, like just, uh, what were you seeing that kind of uh, led to Billionaire Island? Well, yeah, the, definitely this is a reality we've been sort of fostering for decades, for a long time. The fact that, like, billionaires kind of, like, live according to their own law and that in, an increasingly large percentage of the world's resources are being hoarded by by billionaires and are not getting filtered into like the economy as a whole so this creates two different things it creates the fact that like most when there are problems like climate change or there are you know um like like poverty the people suffering from those problems don't have the resources to, to change things all the resources are being hoarded by the people who are least likely to, to want to change things because they're not suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a way we've sort of set, turned off the nerve centers for the human race because all the people with the resources to do, to change something are the ones that have no need, no desire to change because they're not feeling the pain. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to write about the, that being sort of the end of the world. But I had been reading a lot of things like stories about billionaires buying private islands or bug out bunkers in New Zealand uh, to like sort of escape the end of the world. It occurred to me that like we've been sort of trained by comic books and by Reaganomics to think that the billionaires are our friends, that they're like looking out for us, that they'll use their immense fortunes to make our lives better. Yeah. When in reality, it's just much more cost effective for them to retreat to an island and let us fight over the canned beans while they they waited out yeah it is interesting they they because there's that that concept of i'm not rich but i could be so i could always be like this this guy that i that i hero worship 
even yeah. though even though knowing just that small cadre of them would never let you in the club. And I think that's largely how they continue to get away with it is they sort of uh, dangle this possibility in front of us and try to like put us in their shoes, make right. us imagine that uh, letting them that like we that that like taxing them somehow hurts us that like getting yes. a billionaire to pay their fair share of taxes is somehow going to deprive, you know, family farmers or, you know, middle-class people of, 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 of income or that, you know, giving money to people who need it is somehow helping the undeserving when really it's most of the people who are voting against, you know, subsidies and, and aid who are the ones who would receive it if it were given. And increasingly those sorts of programs are needed because the government is actively uh, subsidizing billionaires and banks at the expense of the rest of uh, expense of the rest of us. But somehow when it, the spigot is turned on the other way, that suddenly becomes socialism. And, and so we, we become a nation of suckers, essentially. We become a nation that will never, never fail to write a blank check to billionaires when they need a bailout, but will never accept a check ourselves because we consider that to be socialism. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, we've been, uh, We've been uh, inundated with the fact that they're the job creators. Like they're, you know, we have mm-hmm. to make sure that they, we have to. Make, and it it leads back to to trickle down economics. Is you have to we have to make sure they're happy so that they so everything they have will somehow trickle down to us. Which is which is nonsense because nobody creates a job just because they're feeling good that morning because they got a lot of money and they have no idea what to do with it. So I'll create other jobs. They create jobs because there's demand. They create jobs because there's people out there, customers out they're wanting to buy products and they've got to fulfill that demand that's what creates jobs so we're really the the job creators the people with the demand the people that are willing to spend their hard-earned money on on new products that's what creates jobs not the the princely discretion of some billionaire who had a good night had a nice meal the night before and has an extra billion dollars because of tax cuts and decides why not i'll waste it on paying a bunch of people i don't really need that that never happens I think that was interesting, an interesting part of the story as well is that you didn't have necessarily a, a hero in that story. It's like everyone kind of had their, everyone was there with their own agenda. Either they were there to, to stop something, to discover something, or to be a part of it. And that was, it, right. that was an interesting part of the story is that it wasn't something where, you know, you were expecting, where you were going into it, expecting someone to blow up the entire thing. It just kind of... Um, yeah, in the end, the system is its own worst enemy, right. you know, because it's so unstable. It's so uh, uh, self-sabotaging that that there really is no greater sort of um, hero than reality. Reality mm-hmm. will eventually bring bring their sort of delusions down. Uh, unfortunately, it'll probably take most of the rest of us down with it when yeah. you know it comes crashing down around them. But I think that while there may not be any actual heroes, the the most heroic people are the people who are most truth adjacent. The right. people who are like fighting for the truth or that are um, willing to recognize the truth, even, even though it's the truth about maybe crimes they themselves have committed, are the people who come off the best in the series, right? As the people who are trying to prop up delusions or, uh, or foster their own sort of delusions uh, with, with propaganda are the ones who come across as the greatest villains. Yeah, and you can, and you can see just the... Uh... Just, and I don't even want to say like the the worst of who we are, but kind of just the reality of who we are, 
in just the characters who are just will, who are willingly staying in a hamster cage and <laughs> yeah, uh, fighting for whatever scraps are being thrown to them. And that's very much about why, why the system, though we all know it doesn't work for us, why it persists. Because we know that we're in a cage, we know that we're prisoners of it, and yet we don't break free because we're afraid that there's nothing on the outside. We're afraid that if we, if we do break free and go on the outside, we're going to be collecting Ikea furniture that washes up on the shore and, and no one's going to be with us. So we're going to have to like build a wife out of, you know, mannequin parts. Yeah. And, um, and that really the only sort of security is inside the hamster cage where they change our sawdust regularly and bring us food pellets and water. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things what I, one of the things I loved about the series itself was that it was, it, it had those, comedic moments but even those comedic moments had like the harsh kind of kind of truth to them and i think uh that's that's why the the, the series is worth reading and do you kind of see um yourself writing a, a, a sequel to it like or is there do you think there's more stories to tell from, uh, yeah from you point? know at first when they asked me i thought that that was just sort of like something i hadn't really thought about and i thought well the story ends on such a final note that i don't really see how i can do a sequel but the more i've been thinking about it since then the more i think there is really a sequel to be told and the idea that i'm kind of playing around with now i don't know if i'll actually end up doing it but this is what we're talking about is a story where sort of that follows two stories one is these a cult that comes up around business dog because he has so much, he owns so much of the world's remaining wealth that people must think, people feel like, well, business dog surely knows what's best for everyone because he's so rich. And we've been trained to think that like, you're only rich because you're incredibly smart. Right. So there's a whole cult that develops around worshiping business dog. And on the other hand, like sort of the side of, of hope that we can build something out of the ashes for ourselves, that we can save the human race uh, just by our own efforts and through like working together to like protect each other. And so it's kind of, it would be kind of like about these two sort of competing forces. The people are actually trying to like take reality on its own terms and build something new. And the people are trying to hold on to the scraps of the old world through their, their cult of business dog. Yeah. And you've got more uh, second coming coming as well. <laughs> like uh, yeah. what kind like what, um, do you want readers to kind of know about that story uh, before they go in? Like kind of like what, uh, I don't want to ask you like what the story you're telling because I want to, I want to read it for myself, sure. but just kind of like, uh, what would you tease to, to the audience to say, Hey, this is the reason why you should pick up uh, this new, uh, this new story. Well, in really abstract terms, uh, the uh, second season of second coming is about how, hard it is to make up for past mistakes about how you've created you've done things in your past that even though you've changed you it's really hard to overcome those like um sunstar has to deal with like villains he's defeated in the past and now he's of course sort of sees the futility of violence but he's still got all these people that want to even the score with him from right. from his past and um christ is dealing with the fact that like the first time he came to earth people mistook his teaching so badly that now he's sort of the victim of their misunderstanding of his teachings. He tries to like get the human race back on track and tries to like get new disciples to try to like help further his teachings. Uh, But I think there's also within that just some like really sort of cool um, 
story like like sort of fun stories like there's the, the first issue in the new season is about uh sunstar like is uh, as a baby and it's the last night on the planet zirconia where he grew up and it's very if people are fans of superman they'll recognize the origin story yeah. <laughs> obviously the the source of inspiration because the planet's about to blow up and his father is like the biggest scientist on zirconia and realizes it's about to blow up and wants to just spend one last night of life at home with his wife and baby but then he does he doesn't know it but when he comes home his wife has invited this real estate guy over for dinner and his <laughs> wife so he has to spend the whole night his last night of life what he knows is the last night on on on, on of life on this planet like talking to this guy who's trying to sell him timeshares right <laughs> you know not knowing that the planet's about to blow up so there's some like you know it's not it's not just all like chin scratching and and thought there's some like funny little stories in there too yeah definitely just the <laughs> just visualizing that it, it, it made me laugh so um besides uh billionaire island uh, and uh sequel to billionaire island and and the second uh part of uh, second coming is there anything else that you're currently working on that you that you can talk about yeah um i'm doing the superman versus imperious Lab as part of the DC Future State mm-hmm. series. And I'm doing that. Uh, the, art, the art is being done by Steve Pugh, who's the same artist who does Billionaire Island. So right. always happy to collaborate with him. He also did the art on the Flintstones, as I'm sure you're, you're aware. Yeah. So, and that's about the planet Lexor, where Lex Luthor is the hero and god to the planet, and Superman is the most hated man in the world. So they sort <laughs> of reverse roles on Lexor. Uh, but that's coming out in January. Oh, that's awesome. I'm definitely looking looking forward to that because I've been uh, reading a lot about the the, the future state stories and just how they're they're taking this, the characters and the concepts in different directions. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, one last question I would ask is that, and you because you, you've written uh, you've written characters, uh, you've written for Marvel, you've written for a whole, you've written for DC. Is there a a character that you would love to get your hands on to write some, whether it be a series or a one shot or even a short, like uh, for, uh, if you, if you were offered it tomorrow, like who would be uh, the character that you'd like to just take a, a, a I have like a short list of characters that are sort of on the top of my list. And on the very top is like Superman. I've always wanted to write a Superman comic, like a Superman series. Mm-hmm. So that would, that would be the top of my list, but also, you know, like, uh, Fantastic Four, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and you know, it uh, like a Green Arrow series. I think would also be really great. I would love to write a Green Arrow series at some point. That's awesome. I would, I would definitely read it. I would, I, I love Guardians, but I would, I would love to see your take on on, on Guardians, just uh, just from a humor perspective. And uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I feel like that's one of the comics where you're allowed to be sort of funny and irreverent. Right. So. That just seems like a good fit to me. Exactly. Well, I I really want to thank you for your time. I I really appreciate this. Um, I I look forward to uh, second coming returning, and I look forward to the the next part of Billionaire Island and uh, absolutely uh, Superman uh, Imperious Lex uh, coming out in in January. So uh, Mark Russell, and thank you so much uh, for being on the show, and I I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Darren. It's been, been a lot of fun. So, um, once again, I want to thank Mark Russell for being on the Superpowered Fancast. I really enjoyed 
speaking with him, and I hope to, to speak with him again uh, when his uh, Superman story for DC Future State comes out. Uh, you can find me if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, things you like, things you didn't. Uh, you can always hit me up on Twitter at SuperpoweredFan. Uh, please uh, like and uh, review this this episode on uh, iTunes uh, or, or wherever you get your, your podcast. Let me know. Let me know what works. Let me know what doesn't. What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, what can I, what I can improve on? Uh, I'm always open to suggestions. I'm always open to uh, to constructive criticism, and I want to do better with this. And hopefully, with your help, that I I can. Um, like I said, you can reach me at uh, superpoweredfan on Twitter. You can also email me superpoweredfancast at gmail dot com, and you can check out uh, latest news and reviews on www.superpoweredfancast.com. So until next time, this is Darren for Superpowered Fancast, signing off, and thank you all for listening.